0: Well good morning, Uh, let me add my welcome to you all, we're so glad that you could join with us this morning as we worship God, and now uh, as we turn to his word, uh, to listen to God speak to us. So yeah, as as Willie mentioned, we were uh, discussing about how quickly this year has gone, and we're already in the countdown to Christmas, where we celebrate the coming into the world of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world and uh, as really mentioned we're starting today a a new uh, mini teaching series uh, which ties in with the season of advent and maybe if you could just put the the first slide up on the the screen please Uh, just to um uh ease you into the study uh, i just wanted to give you a question just as a warm-up and feel free to shout out the answer if you if you think you know it but uh Here's the question. Uh, Which writer wrote most of the New Testament? Which writer wrote most of the New Testament? The answer is Luke. It's Luke. In terms of chapters, it's actually Luke. And I, I was surprised. I didn't really comprehend that until I was studying things this week. But it was Luke. And over the next five Sundays, including this Sunday... Uh, we're going to focus on the Christmas story as told by Luke in his gospel. We're going to focus on the opening chapters, chapters 1 and 2. And today we're looking at the opening verses of Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And these verses are really Luke's preface to his Gospel. So let's read these opening verses together. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 to 4. It's actually just one long sentence. So let's read them. Let's hear the word of God. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning where eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught let's just pray father your word reminds us that those who speak should do so as one who speaks the oracles of god and may you give help to do so this morning by your gracious spirit may we be deeply conscious. That it is the true and living God who speaks through his word. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. So as I said this is Luke's preface. Not just his preface to the Christmas story. But this is his preface uh, to the entire gospel narrative. Of the life and death of Jesus. Now I seldom read prefaces. And uh, prefaces... Can be important. Um, I remember someone telling me about a cookbook. I give you all the, the highbrow illustrations. It was a cookbook, and one day they were searching through the cookbook for a recipe for chicken. And so they leafed through the cookbook and they didn't find a single recipe for chicken. And they thought that was a bit strange. So they went back through it again, this time more slowly, just in case they had missed it the first time. But still, no recipe for chicken. So then they checked through the book just one more time and nothing. What does this cook have against chickens? Then they read the preface. And the preface, and in the preface, the author, the chef of the cookbook, explained why there were no chicken recipes in the book. Because when he was a young boy growing up, his dad would often get given a live chicken from a neighboring farm, and he would give it to him, his son, to prepare. And so he had to pluck it and gut it, and it put him off chicken for the rest of his life. So the preface was important. Now Luke's preface is important because it tells us why he wanted to write his account of the life and death of jesus and secondly it also tells us how he went about it luke tells us in verse 4 why he wrote the gospel that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught That is the things you have been taught about Jesus and about salvation. Luke says you can be absolutely certain about Jesus and his salvation. You can trust the gospel story. Now, I guess uh, there is a prevailing view today among skeptics that you cannot trust the Bible, it's not accurate. It's not reliable, it's not true, it's the stuff of myth and legend. And so many people today won't even open it. They won't even read or investigate it for themselves. Luke says the exact opposite, and with good reason. Luke says in his preface that I have painstakingly gathered together eyewitness evidence, I've done my research, I've taken my time, and I've carefully put it all together in an orderly account, and it's true. It stacks up. The good news of Christmas, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to save us from our sins, it's true. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's not a fable. Jesus Christ is a real historical figure, and we can trust Jesus I don't know if you ever listened to the the podcast, The Rest is History. It's hosted by two um, academic historians, Tom Holland and Dominic Sandbrook. They're not Christians. And each episode focuses on the two of them discussing um, a notable uh, and different figure from history each week. And last year, they they asked their voters, uh, their, their listeners, to vote. Uh, For the historical figure that they would like them to discuss in one of their next episodes of the podcast. And the winner of the vote was Jesus Christ. Now they began that episode on Jesus by stating this. They said that no credible historian thinks Jesus is a mythical figure. No credible historian thinks Jesus is a mythical figure. The evidence is overwhelming. It's beyond doubt and that comes from academics. You see the Christian faith is not a leap in the dark. It is based on fact, on historical fact. The evidence is there. Jesus is no myth. There is no doubt about the historic reality of Of Jesus Christ. He's real. The question then becomes. Are the claims of Jesus true? Is Jesus who he said he is? Is he the son of God? Luke says you can be certain. About Jesus. And you can be certain about the salvation. That he offers the world. Now Luke in his preface. Gives us. Three reasons why we can be certain about Jesus. That's what we're going to think about. Number one. We can be certain about the claims of Jesus. Because when he came. Prophecies were fulfilled. Look at verse one. Inasmuch as many. Have undertaken to compile. A narrative of the things. That have been accomplished. Among us, or the things that have been fulfilled among us. See, people recognize that when Jesus came, and that during his life and in his death, ancient promises of God were fulfilled by Jesus, and that caused. An excitement about Jesus. Old Testament prophecies were being fulfilled. People were writing about Jesus. Luke says that many had written down what they saw and heard. Not just gospel writers. But many people kept a record. A written record of the life of Jesus of his teaching, and of the miracles that he performed. People wrote it down. There were written records of Jesus. Now, those Old Testament prophecies, they prepared us for the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's just think about one or two of those Old Testament prophecies. Think of that first prophecy in the book of Genesis. We were thinking about it last Sunday evening, I think. Genesis 3, the seed of the woman, that's Jesus. He would crush the head of Satan. And in doing so, he himself would be wounded. It's a reference to the cross, the work of Jesus on the cross. The prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, prophesied the very place where Messiah, the Savior, would be born. Bethlehem. Micah told us that he would be eternal, that he will will be from everlasting, says Micah. The prophet Zechariah um, prophesied that he would be pierced. That he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of of silver that his disciples would leave him strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered Isaiah in his wonderful prophecy written 700 years or so before Jesus Christ and in Isaiah 7 that wonderful prophecy that we that we think about so often at christmas time that god would send his own son born of a virgin Isaiah writes Behold, the virgin shall conceive, and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah goes even deeper. Isaiah tells us that Jesus would be a suffering servant. Isaiah gives us remarkable detail about those sufferings. That he would give his back to those who would strike. That he would be spat upon. That his face would be beaten to disfigurement beyond human semblance. That he would be wounded for our iniquities, for our sins, crushed for our sins. Isaiah would see even beyond the cross... To his resurrection, he shall see the light of life and his seed, and will be satisfied. You know, it's the detail, the pinpoint accuracy of these Old Testament prophecies is absolutely astonishing. Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the saviour of the world. Come to save us from our sins. He is the fulfilment of these ancient prophecies. And when you discover the truth of Jesus. You discover the secret and the meaning of life. Luke says you can be certain of Jesus. Number two, we can be certain about the claims of Jesus because when he came, lives were transformed. Lives were transformed. Look at verse two. Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Luke here mentions the, the basis of his gospel account. And it was based on the testimony of eyewitnesses, people um, who had seen and heard Jesus firsthand. Luke would have interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus. Zacchaeus, perhaps, who had his life transformed when Jesus came to his house. Or, or Jairus's daughter, whom whom Jesus raised to life. His gospel was based. On reliable eyewitness testimony. But notice. um, That Luke describes. How Luke describes certain of these eyewitnesses. He describes them as ministers. Or servants of the word. Who who are they? Well they are the twelve apostles. Now we know that Luke was a close companion. Of the Apostle Paul. Luke also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. It's the second volume of his, of his book. We know that he followed Paul on his missionary journeys. And he would have met the rest of the Apostles. Paul describes Luke as his fellow worker. He also describes Luke as the beloved physician. We know that Luke was a doctor. He was well-educated. He was uh, well-traveled. And he was well-connected. And God used Luke to write one of the four gospel narratives about the life of Jesus. Paul also tells us something very telling about the character of Luke. Uh, Paul's in prison at the end of his life. And he writes from prison in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he says this, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. That speaks volumes about the kind of person Luke was. His loyalty. He stood by Paul even whilst in a Roman prison. That's something of the character of the man who wrote this gospel account. But what about these eyewitnesses? These servants of the word. These twelve apostles. Well to qualify as one of the the twelve apostles. You had to have been with Jesus for three years during his ministry. From the beginning of his ministry. You had to have heard him teach. You had to have seen him him perform uh, the various miracles. And you had to have been a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had to have seen the risen Christ. Why all of these qualifications? Because Jesus said to them, you will be my witnesses. In other words, they were reliable witnesses. That's what every lawyer dreams of. In presenting his case in court, whether you're the prosecution or the defence, you want to base your case on reliable witnesses. You, you remember Wagatha Christie? Uh, the, I give you all the, the highbrow illustrations here, but two footballer, two footballers' wives, uh, Rebecca Vardy, Colleen Rooney. I think if I've got the name right, Vardy took Rooney to court, and she proved to be. Far from a a reliable witness. Her case crumbled when she took the stand under cross-examination. Luke recorded the testimony of reliable witnesses. Notice how he recorded it. Luke says in verse 2, Just as they delivered their testimony to us. That means Luke didn't embellish it. He didn't add to it. He didn't try to to jazz it up. He daren't. He couldn't because there were many anti Jesus witnesses who would have challenged him if he did so. And so it was just as they said it happened. Now, these 12 apostles, they are described as servants of the word. Their lives had been transformed by Jesus Christ. They became servants of the Word. They were so convinced of the truth of Jesus that they lived and died for the Word. Their raison d'etre was to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel began to spread like wildfire to other countries, to other cities. Ancient historians such as uh, Tacitus Record the early Christian community in Rome. And they link that to Christ in Judea. And Tacitus records how early Christians suffered for Jesus Christ. Some fed to lions in sport at the Colosseum, others dipped in tar. And lit as human torches. Put on display in Nero's gardens. And down through the centuries. Men and women. Whose lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Gave their lives for the word that we have in our hands. Because they were convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ. And they believed. They were sold out for Jesus Christ. And we can be certain about the claims of Jesus because when he came, number one, prophecies were fulfilled and number two, lives were transformed. And number three, our final point, even skeptics were convinced of the truth. Look at verse three. Luke says, it seemed good to me also. Having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Luke now states how he wrote his gospel. He tells us here that he he took his time. He was patient in his research and in his investigation. He was painstakingly accurate. He was very thorough. He followed all things closely. He recorded the detail. That's why when you read through Luke's gospel, uh, the the detail of the names, you know, of of the Caesars, of of the rulers, of the, the governors, the tetrarchs. Look, look at verse 5, for example, of chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration from Quir- Quirinius, governor of Syria. It all stacks up. And Luke is acknowledged by academics as one of the most important and one of the most accurate ancient historians. But but I wonder if you noticed who Luke addresses his gospel to at the end of verse 3. It's to a, a very specific person. Luke writes to most excellent Theophilus. Who was he? Well, it appears uh, from verse 4 that Theophilus was a recent Christian. He had come to faith in Jesus. And that's why Luke is writing to him. That you, Theophilus, may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. How did he become a Christian? How did Luke become a Christian? Neither Theophilus nor Luke had seen Jesus. I have never seen Jesus. But they had heard about him. They had heard the eyewitness stories. They had read the many narratives that had been written about Jesus Christ. And they believed. And so Luke writes his gospel to Theophilus. That he might have certainty about the things he has heard concerning Jesus Christ. That he might be assured in his faith. Now Theophilus was probably a Roman. He was a Gentile, a non-Jew, just as Luke was. And he was most likely a senior Roman official. Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. When you come into the book of the Acts, uh, you come across two characters, Felix and Festus, who were both Roman Procurators of Judea. Officials governing Judea on behalf of the Romans. They are both described as most excellent Felix. Most excellent Festus. And so Theophilus must have held a similar position. He must have been a man of high standing. A man of wealth. Perhaps Luke's patron who supported him. Now the last thing that Roman officials wanted... Was religion that would disrupt society, that would harm the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. So why would someone as senior as Theophilus, someone as wealthy and as well educated with everything to lose, why would a man like Theophilus become a Christian? I'll tell you why. Because he was convinced It was true. He believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God. He believed that Jesus Christ died for him on the cross. And he believed that Jesus Christ came to save save him from his sins. And friends, as, as we think about Advent and Christmas... And as we remember the coming into the world of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That he came to save us from our sins. This is no myth. This is no fable or fairy story. This is truth. And you can be certain of that truth. But that means this. That you need to take Jesus and his message seriously. And if you haven't done so, I would urge you to do that. The real story of Christmas is not just the manger into which the baby Jesus was laid. But it is every bit as much about his cross where he suffered And died to save us from our sins and bring us into relationship with God. That's why He came. That is why God became man. Jesus came to save you. God offers you the gift of eternal life, He offers you the gift of His salvation through faith. In Jesus Christ. Will you receive it? Will you accept God's gift? Will you give your life to Jesus Christ and follow Him? That is the good news of Christmas. It is the best news. And good news is not good news if it's not true. And Luke has written his gospel to give us certainty. That it is. Consider the evidence for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word that we might have certainty about your great salvation and about your great Saviour, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for Luke, whom you used through your Holy Spirit to write this gospel. And we pray that as we study it together over these next few weeks. That you would fill every heart with the joy of Jesus Christ. That we might rejoice in the certainty of our salvation. I pray for folks today who perhaps don't have that certainty. Or who have never thought about Jesus Christ. Lord I just ask that. They would take Jesus and your gospel seriously. And I pray that you would speak into their lives. Pray that you would bless the children today as they've heard your word. And we ask all of this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.